Visit a free download from Delancey Eden Church. Meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Eden Church building at the Banks St. Samson in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. Contact us to find out more information about us. Please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk. Get your Bibles with you. Okay, now you've probably got uh, on your seat. You've got kind of bits. Only got bits of paper. Yeah, you got some papers there. Uh, the reason why that I'm going to be doing them out uh, next few weeks. I want to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. I think with the Lord's Prayer, something we're often familiar with, and yet sometimes we don't really get the power of it. And I kind of got this sense, and we're going to go with. Literally, we're going to look at it verse by verse. Because I think it's such a powerful thing. And I got this sense that if we could kind of grasp what the Lord's Prayer really is all about, our lives would be revolutionised. Uh, and I just kind of just feel like the next few weeks, I want us to really learn the Lord's Prayer, to really study it, to really get a grip of it. To really understand what it's about. Because in it, sometimes we can, we can be so familiar with something, we lose sight of actually what it really is. You know what I mean? We, you know, we say it at funerals and all kinds of various events. We get familiar with it, we can quote it, we know it. And, and, and maybe we, because of that, we kind of don't really see the depth of it. But, and so what we've got there, number one, you've got different pages. Number one is, uh, it's an outline of the actual, the whole prayer. So what the, some of the, it's only a very small outline of what, what, the, what the Lord's Prayer is all about verse by verse. Okay, and if you look at the back, I've got a paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer by St. Francis of Assisi. So, it's a paraphrase of his prayer. If you were to see it literally, it, it's, so in, it's so much in old language, you probably wouldn't be able to grasp the thing. So it's kind of paraphrased. Uh, and you can see something of what the Lord's Prayer is about. And it's just a real blessing prayer, so you can really read that. So that's really good. That's the first thing. Now the second thing is what we're looking at this morning is an outline of this morning's what we're going to be sharing this morning, just the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer. So that's an outline of that. So you can take that home, look at it, read it, think about it, add your own notes, meditate on it. Uh, so that's, the, that's, the, that's what the papers, that are the papers are based on. What we're going to talk about this morning, okay, the first verse of that. Now the third thing, which we haven't got in your seat, I'll we'll give afterwards, is Adam very kindly, uh, like a, a, I suppose it's like a, it's for your fridge or for some of you to keep on your Bible, bookmark, whatever. And it's the Lord's Prayer. It's in, what's that? It's the NIV, the first one, isn't it? Yeah, so it's one in the, 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 new, the new International Version or the Neely Inspired, no, the NIV Version. And over the, the back is, the, is it in the, 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 the message, isn't it? The message, which is, which is a great paraphrase. So, so you've got that, they'll be at the back, so please take that, put in your Bibles and just get to look at it, read it, meditate on it. So that's a good thing for you to have, so it's in your Bibles there and we'll, we'll put those in the back for everyone to take who, who wants a copy of that. Okay, so is that, does that explain it? Yeah. So yeah, so if you understand it, then tell me afterwards. But, uh, okay. So if you want to turn to Matthew 6, we're going to look at it in two, again, in two, two, two ways this morning. <coughs> To pay for uh, the Lord's Prayer actually is found in, in, the, in, in two Gospels. So we're going to look at both Gospels. It's, we find it in Matthew and we find it in Luke. And so I'm going to look at those two ones because there's, there's something I want to bring out from, from both aspects of both Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel. So the first one is in Matthew 6, verse 9. It says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our debts, and as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, e- from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever. Amen. Now if you go over to, to Luke, Luke 11. Here we see uh, the Lord's Prayer again recorded for us there. And you may notice a slight, a slight difference if, if, you ever, if you ever noticed it. For example, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's, as Matthew shares it, it's, 
is the end. You know, yours is the power, the kingdom, and the glory. In Luke's gospel, how many realize this, you don't see that? And there's a reason for that. I'm going to explain that maybe in the weeks ahead, but just a few notes there. Anyway, verse 2. Now, I want to read from verse 1 because verse 1 explains why, the, the, why Jesus taught them to pray. Verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. And also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, I just thank you today for your amazing prayer and I pray today that revelation flow to every heart. Lord, we want to receive the truths of what you want to impart to us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, if you look at Luke, Luke 11 verse 1 to begin with, I just kind of, I'm interested of how this sort of discussion took place. And you realise verse 1 is why the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray. Because there's the thing you find that the what lies beyond is the disciples were, if you like, were seeing the hours that Jesus spent in prayer to his Father. You'll find this as you study it, that Jesus spent more time in prayer than anything else. Isn't that interesting? I wrote it down as an interesting sort of situation that, you know, it's recorded, uh, how many times was it? It's something like 17 times the Gospels record that Jesus set aside himself to pray. And the disciples saw the prayer life of Jesus. They saw how powerful his prayer life was. Isn't it true? If you see someone do something amazingly, wouldn't you want to learn off them? You know what I mean? If, if you see someone, you think, I'd really love to do that. And you, you look at someone and think, they do that amazingly. I think I'll ask them how they do it. And that was the disciples. They saw how powerful the prayer life of Jesus was. So they said, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. We notice you get results. We notice that you see things happen when you pray. Teach us to pray like you pray. And that's how it came. You think of Lazarus' tomb. It's an amazing story there. And the disciples kind of saw that, for example. Where Jesus says this, he says, Father, I thank you that you hear me. Lazarus, rise up and walk. How many of you saw that would say, man, I want to pray like that. You know, that's the kind of prayer life I want. And so the disciples saw how powerful the prayer life of Jesus was. And because of that, they said, Lord, we feel our prayer life is sadly lacking. We feel like our prayer life is not as powerful as it should be. Teach us to pray like you pray. And the thing I love about this is that's a request that Jesus never turns down. So I think in every human heart, there's a a, a desire in all of us to touch heaven. Is that true? We all want to be effective. We all want to touch heaven. And for such hearts, Jesus says, if you really want to be effective in your prayer life, if you really want to touch heaven like I touch heaven, then this is how you do it. This is how you pray. And it's interesting, as you look at Look at that word prayer there. That word for prayer, actually in Luke 1, when, Jesus, when he says that Jesus was praying, that word, actually that Greek word means to pray with fervency and intensity. That's what it means. In other words, Jesus was praying with fervency and intensity. The great I suppose the great, one of the great prayer writers is a guy called E.M. Bounds, if you've ever heard of him. And he says this, it takes heat and fervency and metaphoric fire to push through to the upper heavens. When the disciples saw the passion and the power of the prayer life of Jesus, they said, we want to pray with that kind of passion. We want to pray with that kind of fervency. Look what it says here. 
Hebrews 5, verse 7. What a powerful verse this is. And it defines and describes the prayer life of Jesus. Almost it takes you behind this veil and takes you into the prayer chamber of Jesus. And it says in Hebrews 5, verse 7, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vermin cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, he was heard because of his godly fear. Really describes this really in Hebrews. He's saying that Jesus prayed, his prayers were forceful, passionate, compelling and powerful. And that actual Greek word there means strong and mighty outcries. Jesus prayed, not with some kind of form. You see, they've been, relig- they've been used to religious formulas of prayer. They saw the way the Pharisees prayed. They saw all the religious formulas of prayer. But when they saw someone pray with such fervency and passion, with tears, with loud cries to God, they said, we want to pray something like that. And in Matthew... They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, this is the pattern of prayer. Remember, it's not a formula, it's a pattern. The Lord's prayer actually is a pattern. Jesus says, this is a pattern. If you want to have breakthrough in prayer, then this is a pattern to how you pray. I'd call it this, it's a model prayer. A pattern. And interestingly enough, I think it's a pattern and a model that Jesus says that we are to do every day. Why do I say that? Because he says, give us each day our what? Daily bread. So it's a daily pattern that Jesus wants us to establish in our prayer life. It's a pattern, it's a principle. And I found that when the pattern's right, the glory will fall. It's almost that God works in patterns and principles. It's not something legalistic or or something that's just a formula. It's a pattern and it's a principle. And the Lord's Prayer is a pattern and principle. And as we understand something of the pattern and the principle, and we apply that pattern and principle to our own personal lives, then when the pattern's right, the glory is going to fall. Isn't that wonderful? The glory of God's going to fall because you are praying according to the pattern that Jesus says, this is how you pray. You want to be effective? You want to see breakthrough in your life? You want to see circumstances change? You want to see things happen? Then this is how it's going to happen. This is the pattern. This is the principle to develop in your own time with God. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus says, in this manner, in this kind of pattern, this is how you pray. And here's a big thing, I think. Often, I think one of the things the enemy does is to try to drive us away from the place of prayer. And I think the danger is sometimes that often as Christians, we can actually not have a prayer life, as amazing as there is. That Christians can not really have any kind of prayer life. And Jesus says, no, I want you to have a prayer life. Because I think often darkness thickens when we don't pray. Things don't change when we don't pray. Things, we need prayer to change things around us. Prayer is one of the most vital and important things that we can do. Someone said this, and I think it's only found this to be true. That often God, often we don't pray until there is a crisis. Someone said this, that God will will allow you to have a crisis so that you are kept on your knees. And it's often in a crisis, sometimes that's the only time we pray in a crisis. And so I say, yes, it's also, God will, will, will keep you with a need to keep you on your knees. And you'll never be as powerful as a Christian as it's compared to your prayer life. If your prayer life's weak, so your Christian life will be. The more powerful your prayer life will be, 
the more powerful your Christian life will be. They are connected together. You can't really have a powerful Christian life and not have a prayer life. They're connected together. The power of your, of your life will be, com- will be compared to the, to the power of your, your, your prayer life. Let me just define something of what kind of prayer is, really. I think prayer is the powerful offering of your desires and longings and the needful things pleading your course in the court of heaven. Seeking help beyond your power. It's a personal appeal to a personal God based on his revealed will. And prayer in the Bible is not a suggestion. How many realise it's a commandment? The Bible says, seek me with all your heart and you will find me. In other words, half-hearted prayer won't do it. Seek me with all your heart and the promise of the Lord is this, that you will find me. I love it. Now, let's look at this prayer. Our Father in heaven... Our Father. Here's the interesting thing. I want you to see this. All prayer begins with a revelation of the Father and our Sonship. I want you to see that. The knowledge of God's love sometimes is the most simplest thing, but it's really where all prayer begins. All true prayer begins with a revelation of the Father heart of God. You will never go beyond your prayer life than your revelation of who God is. Want to see that? That the way you perceive God to be will affect the way you pray. And so Jesus says, look, when you first pray, you need to realize who God is. You need to understand that he is your father. I'm sure you realise this, but the word father there, and I love it, is the word Abba. The word daddy. It speaks really of intimacy with God. That this all-powerful creator God is your daddy. He's your Abba. And Jesus says, when you pray, say, Abba, Daddy. Yeah. He's your dad. He's your father. He's not some distant, far remote God. He's your daddy. He's your father. And all prayer begins, in my view, with a concept that this awesome creator God is my Abba. It was an intimate word that Jewish children used for their own father. Abba. Look at this great scripture there. Romans 8.15. See, what does the Spirit of God want to... What revelation does the Spirit of God want to bring to your heart? Here's the major thing I think the Spirit of God wants to reveal to your heart. Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption By whom we cry out, what? Abba, Daddy. Do you know I believe that what God wants to do with believers, he wants all of us to encounter and experience the spirit of adoption. But in our hearts is this cry that says, God, you're not just an awesome, amazing God, but you're my Daddy. You're my Abba. And the Holy Spirit works in us so that we come before God and say, Abba, Father, Daddy, I can have an intimate, close relationship with a God who is my Father. What did Jesus really come to do? You know what he said he came to do? He said, I've come to reveal to you the name of God. And the name of God that I've come to reveal to you is Father. Now, it was mentioned briefly, it was mentioned in in little concepts in the Old Testament, but never fully revealed. And when Jesus came, he said, I've come to reveal to you the most important name of God. And it's the name of Father. This awesome Jehovah God is actually a Father, is your Father. Isn't that awesome? 
And you'll find that Jesus, in simplistic ways, began to reveal what God was like as a father. Now, one of my favorite ones, we could go on all day, but let me just show you one of my favorite ones. It's Luke 12, verse 6. This is my favorite, one of my favorite revelations that Jesus brought regarding the father. I think I, I, I may have even preached on it at, at some point, but it's a story of the five sparrows. Have you ever thought about that story? I think it, it's so awesome in its kind of concept. Luke 12, verse 6. And if you understand this about father, then you're able to, to view God as a father. And when you view God as an Abba Father, then your prayer life begins to take off. You don't feel you're struggling to earn his approval. You say, Lord, you're my father. You're my dad. Isn't that awesome? You're my dad. And because you're my dad, I know you're going to hear me because you're my dad. You're interested in me. Amen? And Jesus kind of emphasizes this by showing this, this simplistic concept. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. He says, but the very hairs of your head are numbered. I say many times, keep counting, Lord. Uh, Do not fear, therefore, that you are more of value than many sparrows. Now, there's this concept. It's five sparrows. Now, I want you to see it. It's almost, I mean, I've seen when you go to Tesco or, no, I shouldn't say Tesco's or uh, Alliance or somewhere like that. You get these offers, two for one. How many have seen, you know, two for one sort of stuff? Now, this is that kind of concept. You know, the fifth sparrow, you know, buy four sparrows and you get one free. It's, a, it's, a, it's a Mac Sparrow, okay? And Mac Sparrow says, if you buy four sparrows, you get one for nothing. So the fifth, value, the fifth sparrow literally is valueless. It's only used to bring the customer in. It's actually, in terms of value, it means it's zouch. It's there to get people to get the sales. I think you can see that. And Jesus says, amazingly, even that fifth sparrow, that everybody else is unimportant, even the Father in Heaven is aware of that. Now, if he's, a, as a, he's a, if he's aware of that, how much does he value you? How much worth does he place upon you? Because you're worth more than a fifth sparrow. How many can say that? And he says, this is what Father's like. He values you. He's interested in every area and every part of your being. Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. He's interested. He loves you. And he wants you to encounter him on that level. A father who cares, who's interested in every area and every dimension of your life. Everybody counts. Everybody has a plan in God. God sees your immense value. And how many have found, in amazing throughout the Bible, that God chooses the most unlikeliest people? You know, right? And we're one of those. Amen? Because he's there. He loves us. He has a destiny, a purpose and plan. Because he sees you as a person of immense value. Because he's my dad. Don't your dads, you know, if you've got a good father, they value you, they think you're amazing, they think you're awesome. How much more does your father in heaven? Now look at another verse. I want to keep touching this because I think it's, if you don't get this concept, then the Lord's Prayer really... You can never enter into the fullness of the Lord's Prayer because it comes from a revelation of the Father, heart of God. Romans 5, verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I just love that. In other words, to know the Father heart is to know God loves you. And that's a basic concept, but I think a lot of people struggle with this concept that God loves us. And the Holy Spirit's purpose is to, 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 is to cause you to have this incredible, immense, wave after wave of the Father's affection for you. The word poured means, it's, it's like this picture of, of when you throw a stone into a kind of pond and this wave that comes out of that. And it's this wave of Father's affection that the Holy Spirit is pouring into our hearts. So we become more aware and more conscious that we're loved by our Father in heaven. And when we know we're loved by our Father in heaven, we have a true concept of who the Father is. And once that is established in our hearts, we can say, our Father in heaven. Isn't that awesome? Now, it's a revelation of Father. If you think about it, what do you gain from a Father? You gain affection. You gain security. You gain affirmation. 
In your interest of Jesus' baptism, what were the first words the father said to him? He says, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Anyway, what do you think that would do to a human heart? What would you think that would do to a heart to say, actually, the father's really pleased with me? You think of it, don't you feel good when, the, when your father said, yeah, that was amazing. Something about receiving affirmation has an incredible impact on us. And the Father wants to speak words of affirmation to us, so we create a strength and a security in our relationship with him. And we say, that is such a powerful concept for us to get. So it's out of our revelation of him being a father, and the second thing is, it comes out of us realising that we're a son. We're his sons, we're his children. And that is something so powerful we need to understand, because... What, you know what sons have? Sons are hairs. Not I mean this. Birmingham people saying hairs is not always good. You know, we are inheritors, that's a better word, of all the Father's resources. In other words, the Bible tells us that really Jesus has made available to us all the Father's resources of heaven are available to us. Not because of that we do anything but because of who we are in the relationship to Father, we're his children. And because we're his children, we have access to all the resources of heaven because we're his children. You think about it. Maybe in your house, you come home, and you find the postman in your fridge making himself a sandwich. I mean, that, you, that, that's not, that would not be a, a good place for him to be right, right there. Is that right? I'm just making myself a sandwich. You don't mind, do you? But if your children are doing it, you don't think, you don't even, because most of the time they do it, you know what I mean? But there's no, there's just no, you, don't, you have no problem with that, no question about that. And that's that same concept. That we, the Bible says, that we come with boldness into the Father's presence. Not because of what we've done, but because <laughs> of who Jesus is and because Jesus has saved us, we are now children of God and we have access to heaven with boldness, with confidence, because of our position as children of the Most High God, sons of God. Now, you'll find that if you're a daughter here, you're still a son, because son speaks of your position, your inheritance. The, the first, I'm afraid, the first son always inherited the father's possession. I realise that. So that's why, even if you're a daughter, now you think of us men, we've got to be called brides as well, so you think about that concept as well. But the point is that, even though you're a daughter, you're a son. Because that speaks of your ability to receive heaven's resources as an inheritor of the son. So that means I can come in heaven knowing I'm a son, I'm a child of the living God. Isn't that wonderful? In other words, my identity in Christ is based on the fact that I'm a child, I'm a son of God. You know, psychiatrists tell us we have, we have 1,200 words a minute of self-thinking, of self-talk. If you think about this, if that's true, imagine if 1,100 of those words are all bringing, you to, bringing yourself down, saying how useless you are, how rubbish you are, and everything else. Can you imagine how that's going to damage you? 1,100 of those words, and 1,100 of them are kind of derogatory to yourself. That's why we need to really know who we are and begin to, to think as a son, to think as a child of God. Because that is going to make your prayer life powerful. Now, so when we pray, I think when we realise that we're, we're sons of God, it just creates this amazing sense of security and assurance that our prayers are going to reach heaven. Can you say amen? Now, I'm going to go back to this in a moment, but Jesus, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, be your now. Why do you think that word hallowed? I'm going to come back to it in a moment. You know what the word hallowed means? One of the meanings of it, it means to sanctify. Now, it means this, that the God is set apart from all evil. He's set apart from all evil in your life. Now, we're not set apart from him because of Jesus filling the gap, bridging the gap, if you like. Now, I want you to see, He's not the Father causing evil in your life. Every good gift comes from above. Is that true? There's a simple foundation. God good, devil bad. Okay? Now I know that's deep theology, but get hold of that. God 
good, devil, bad. We used to, we, Lydia used to do this when she did uh, ballet. It was like naughty toes and good toes. Remember that? And that's the same concept. Bad devil, good God. Now that's a simple foundation. I think sometimes people don't kind of always grasp. Here's the point. If you see God as the one who creates the evil in your life, then how can you pray to a God who's causing all your problems? Is that true? God is in the cause of your problems. He wants to kind of respond to your problem. He wants to get you out of it because he is a good father. Psalm 119 verse 68 says this, You are good and you do good. In other words, God didn't do it, but as the amazing things, he can turn it out for good. All things work together because God can turn all the rubbish, all the stuff, all the evil things that can happen in our lives and he has this incredible way to turn it for good because he is good. And here's a way to see. If all that is true, he's our father, we are children of his. Here's the danger sometimes. Here's what happens. Sometimes we have what I call father wounds in our hearts. Where maybe in, in different ways, in different concepts, we've had bad father experiences. And our bad father experiences, we can project onto our heavenly father. And we begin to have a distorted view of father because of bad earthly father experiences. Because father, that's where you get your affirmation from. That's where you get your acceptance from. And so we need to make sure that, that we need to say, Lord, are there any father wounds in my heart? And get the father wounds healed so we can come with this assurance that says, Our father... You know, for a lot of people, when you say the word father, it's a, painful, it's a painful word. Is that true? It's painful for them to say father. They don't like to say that word because it brings up so many bad, hurtful experiences. But the father in heaven wants to heal those aspects so that you can come and say, Father in heaven, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you affirm me. Thank you that you're for me today. And out of that heart... Thank you that I'm your child. Thank you that I'm your son. And out of that, your prayer life rises. It's wonderful. Have you thought about this? That when Jesus says Father, he says, what did he say? He says, Our Father. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. Our Father. Now, I know it can partly mean the fact it meant to all the disciples corporately, but I'll tell you something even more wonderful about this. It's a beautiful story in John 20. Well, right there, when Jesus has been raised from the dead. And you remember, Martha goes to, the, goes to the tomb. Remember that story? And she, she holds on to him. Remember that? She holds on to him. And he says, don't hold on to me yet. I've not ascended yet to my father. But go to my disciples and tell them this. I go to my God and your God. So when Jesus says, our father, he's saying... My father's your father. He's ours. He belongs to us. He's our father. Isn't that awesome? He's our father together. That the same relationship I have with my father, you can have with him as well because he's our father. Do you know something's amazing? There's only one occasion when Jesus did not refer to God as his father. You know when that was? That was on the cross. When he said these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became rejected so that we might know acceptance with our Heavenly Father. Can you say Amen? Our Father in heaven. Now notice this. Where is he? Where is he? he says, Our Father in where? Heaven. You thought about that. We have to lose sight of that, but our prayers are focused and going to heaven. You know, sometimes we focus our prayer life on the battle, on people, on, on the circumstances. And we're often looking at the battle that we're, we're praying prayers. But actually, true prayer, to be effective, has to enter heaven. The Bible says our citizenship is in 
heaven. That's where our home is. That's where actually we belong. Our citizenship is in heaven. Heaven is the centre of the invisible realm. It's where God lives. Heaven is the place where the fullness of the Father's presence is manifested. Every divine activity on earth proceeds from heaven. And Jesus came as a full expression of heaven to establish heaven's rule in the affairs of men. And there's the challenge. Because the problem is, we are trying to communicate from earth to heaven. And I just believe there's this concept that I don't always think we get, that the God, the Father we're praying to, is actually in heaven. We've got to learn to see that our prayers have to enter the courts of heaven. They don't enter space, they don't enter, you know, the room we're in. Our prayers are meant to actually enter the courtroom of heaven itself. Because it's only when they enter heaven that God responds to the prayer. And so Jesus at the outset says, listen, when you're praying, remember that you're, you're, you're entering and taking your prayer request into heaven. Because that's where your Father is. Our Father in heaven. You see, let me show you something. Romans 8, go back to Romans. Because in order for my prayers to enter heaven, they need to be prayers that are directed and led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because that's the language of heaven. Let me realise that. Romans 8. I found this verse so helpful. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. How many have found that to be true? But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. He searches the hearts. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for all the saints. I just think that is such a powerful thing. The other picture is, it's a picture of the Spirit excites our hearts, stirs our hearts. We suddenly feel a stirring. How many felt like you're praying best? And suddenly you feel a stirring, an excitement rising up in your heart. That's the Spirit interceding and stirring your heart to pray the will of the Father. It's, it's the Spirit of God that excites and stirs our hearts to pray as we ought. We can't pray without the enabling and the ability of the Spirit. And that's why we need to cherish the, the, the longings and the movings of the Spirit to enable us to pray effectively. So here's the point, that, that our prayers ultimately have to be directed right to the courtroom of heaven. That's where our prayers should be directed. Because it's the place where we receive agreement. Let me show you what I mean. 1 John 5. There's a lot of scriptures, but I won't just get a hold of this. 1 John 5. Verse 14. Now this is a confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we've asked of him. Here's the point. When I get into agreement with heaven, prayers are answered. When my will is aligned to God's will, then prayers will be answered. Ultimately speaking, you think about it, what's the verdict that really counts? It's not people's verdicts. The verdict that really counts is heaven's verdict. Is that true? And so when I pray according to the will of the Father, that's heaven's verdict. And he says, you have a, isn't that awesome to have a confidence to know what you're praying for is going to happen? That's confidence. Rather than throwing something up and hoping maybe it might happen, that when you know that this is the will of Father and this is God's will, then you know he hears your prayers. What is God's will? And his word. Is that true? As we begin to declare his word and pray his word, then we're praying his will. And what his will is, he says he will do and bring his word to pass. What he has declared, what he has said. So what I'm saying this morning is that we present our case to our Father in heaven. We're presenting it to him. And because he hears it in heaven, he responds and answers our prayers. I just believe this with all my heart, and I've seen it more and more as I've grown in prayer, 
is there's something powerful about learning to make a decree in prayer. You know what a decree is? It's where you decree and declare what God has said. Maybe you say, my circumstances say one thing. My feelings say one thing. Everything around me says one thing. But this is what God's word says. And I declare that word in the midst of conflicting circumstance situations. This is what God's word says. And I decree and I declare that word. What God says, not what anything else says. Now, when you have that actual kind of perseverance in that, and you decree and declare God's word in the midst of that situation, how many realize you're going to see amazing answers to prayer? You're just going to see breakthrough. Because you are not looking to your circumstances. Remember I said, you know, heaven is invisible, you can't see it. And sometimes we are declaring the invisible. What we can't see, we believe it's more real than what we can see. Because what you can see changes. Is that true? One minute, yeah, it's one way, and the next minute it's another way. So you're, you're believing what the, what the invisible realm is, is more powerful than what you can see. What is faith? Faith is, faith is the evidence of things what? Not seen. How do you know something not seen exists? Because God says it exists. And so you believe what he says and decree it. And that decree in heaven begins to see incredible results. Now let me close with this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know the thing I love about this? See, you know where we want to begin in prayer? With our need, with our problem. Is that true? But it's interesting in the Lord's prayer... It's all about him to begin with. Thy will, thy name. It's all about putting God's interest first. And it's actually saying, God, before I do anything else, I'm just going to worship you. My Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I just worship you. I just thank you. I just praise you. You begin with worship. True worship is the desire for him to be glorified. Because the word hallowed actually means sanctified, but also it means to honour. Honour your name. Let your name be honoured. Hallow thy name. And so the first thing you do is you honour God. How do you honour God? You honour him with your worship. The word honour means to give value. To give esteem. How do you value something? How do you give esteem to something? Is when you worship it. And so God says that when you come before me, the first thing you do is you honour me. You esteem me. You value me by worshipping me. Now, in order to honour God, you've got to discern who he is. Is that true? And notice this. What does it say? Hallowed or honour be your name. God's name reveals who he is. You know, it's not just like a name, you know, Fred, Charles, whoever it is. The names of God actually are revelations to who he is. You know, I, I, as I studied it, it was a staggering fact. And it might not be, I think, I think it's true to say there are 369 names of God in the Bible. <laughs> and every one of them is a revelation about something of who God is. His name reveals something of his character, something of his nature. So as I begin to know his name, I begin to know who he is. And as I begin to know who he is, I honour him. Because I'm knowing who he is. Now, I think when you begin to, to recognise the names of God and who he is, by gaining the understanding of his name, you gain power. As you meditate on his names, you begin to experience what that name reveals. Let me give you an example. The word Jehovah. Do you know the word Jehovah? Really, is the redemptive names. I think it's, as a, as a, a good quote, Dr. Schofield said, the seven redemptive names Jehovah is God's redemptive name. So the word Jehovah really is his redemptive name or his names, his covenant names. Now the word Jehovah has other names connected to it. Seven in exact. It's Jehovah Shema, 
which means the Lord is there. I love it. I just realized, God, thank you that you are Jehovah Shammah and you're always there. That's a good name to realize, isn't it? He is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is your peace. Isn't it good to know that? That when I know the names of God, I know he's my peace. Not other things are, but he's my peace. Jehovah Shalom is my peace. Jehovah Ra, which is the Lord is my banner. Or he is victorious, the victorious one. The Lord is my... So Jehovah, the Lord is my... Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. That's cool to know that. That he's a provider. Jehovah Nissi. Is the Lord is our banner. Actually, Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha is the Lord my shepherd, okay? Jehovah Nissi is the Lord is my victorious banner. It's Jehovah Tishingdu, which is the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Rapha is the Lord is my healer, or the Lord is my physician. What I'm saying is this as you begin to sort of think on those names, you honour his name, and those names begin to reveal something of who God is, his character. How many want to know God more? Know who he really is. And the more I begin to hallow his name and recognise him, and I honour his name, then God begins more and more to reveal himself, who he is. And the Bible says his name is sanctified, or his name is holy. God is a holy God. He's holy in all that he does. And when you get a concept of his holiness, that begins to transform the way you live your life. Because you see him as a holy God, an awesome God, a holy God. But yet he's also our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Let's just stand right now before him and Let's just come and recognize today. The Lord calls us right now to, in that wonderful place of prayer, just sing your heart now. Say, Lord, today, I want to be a, a man, a woman of prayer. Thank you that you've given me a pattern today. Help me to commit my life like Jesus. Jesus lived and breathed a life of prayer. If we just got just something of that concept. The reason why he had such a powerful life and a powerful ministry was because also he had a, a powerful life of prayer. If he needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? There's not one man in the Bible who didn't have a, a, a powerful prayer life. They are our examples. And if they needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? So right now, I say, Lord, today, I just want to commit my life. I just want to be a person of prayer. Help me. Teach me how to pray. If you make that your prayer this morning, say, Lord, teach me how to pray. There's a weakness there. I struggle. Help me to pray. Teach me how to pray. If you ask the Lord that, he's going to teach you how to pray. And you're going to see heaven move on your behalf. You're going to see all kinds of amazing things take place. Because you commit yourself to be a person of prayer. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus. To say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that kind of life is going to just... It's going to change Guernsey. It really is. So I now say, Lord, today, I want to be a person of prayer. Help me to pray. Teach me to pray. Father, we want to come to you today. And we thank you, Lord, that you've not left us in ignorance today. But you've given us a model. You've given us a pattern to enable us, to teach us to pray. And that's our prayer this morning, Lord. Would you please teach us how to pray? 
you see how weak we are at times. You see how, how, how much sometimes we struggle in prayer. And Lord, we cry to you in our weakness today. Would you teach us to pray? Would you enable us? Would you help us in our weakness today? Thank you for your Holy Spirit that, that helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray, what to pray for. And so, Lord, come and help us in our weakness today. We want to be men and women of prayer. We know the only way this island's ever going to be changed is by people of prayer. And Lord, today we want to commit our lives. We want to say, Lord, enable us. Cause us to be people of prayer that will change the whole history, the whole destiny of this island. Lord, teach us how to touch heaven. Teach us how to make impact. Teach us how to see influence and breakthrough. Help us to see our situations change, Lord. And Lord, I pray today, would you give us a revelation of your Father heart, Lord. Help us to know that when we're praying, we're praying to our Father who's in heaven. And we're coming as your children. We're coming as your sons today. Coming before a Father who loves us more than we'll ever know. So I pray today, would you touch us at the core of our hearts today? Would you touch us at the core of your being with your incredible love that we would pray with force, we would pray with passion. Our Father in heaven, knowing, Lord, that we have confidence that what we ask, that you will do. In your mighty name we ask this. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elim Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk.